turn in the middle of the message. We're going to finish up, well, not Matthew, but we're going to finish up Philippians on Sunday. And I'm excited about that. But we've got a lot to go in Matthew. And uh, we are in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, some eschatological things, talking about end times. And Jesus is filling in his disciples on the signs of his coming. We've covered so many of them. We're up to verse 29. I'm going to read verses 29 through 31 in a minute here. And uh, in a sense, Jesus is finishing up some of uh, answering their question. And then we're going to move into some parables of readiness. Uh, how many know we're supposed to stay ready for the coming of Christ? Amen. Now, that's not always easy because there's a lot of distractions in the world. Anyone ever get distracted? <laughs> Anybody get distracted by bright, colorful things? Yeah. I mean, it's like distracted driving is the number one thing. It's amazing all of us made it here without hitting anything. Between our phones and all the stuff that's going on around us. But, you know, the distractions keep us from staying ready. Um, Jesus is telling of his signs. We've got to look for his coming. Uh, it's up to the Holy Spirit to keep the bride ready, and he's doing a good job. So let's thank God for the word. Then I'm going to start in Matthew 24, starting in verse 29. Father, we thank you tonight for this time of worship in the middle of the week where we can come together and just enjoy your presence with one another. Father, thank you for refreshing us. I pray, Lord God, that you uh, did great things in each of our hearts as we worshiped you. Now, Father, we pray that our hearts are ready for the word, that the ground of our hearts are plowed up and our minds are alert, and we're ready to allow the Holy Spirit to drive the principles of truth that are hidden in here for those who seek past the ordinary, that seek with their whole heart. So, Father, I pray that you would enlighten us and illuminate the word to us tonight, and we'd walk away encouraged and changed and filled by your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 29, Matthew 24, Jesus speaking. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and, the and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So a powerful description here. Jesus gave a whole lot of signs that were going to happen in the earth. We talked about, you know, all, all these signs about the sun and the moon and the stars, and there's more here, but we talked about earthquakes and, you know, tidal waves and all kinds of things that, you know, the, the earth is going to respond and the heavens are going to respond, and all of it is going to point to the coming of Christ. And Jesus gives more details here in this verse about how his coming will play out. Now, we talked about our views of the tribulation, and that's the catching, well, the catching away of the church would be a pre-trib view if that's before the tribulation, which is seven years, just kind of uh, getting everybody caught up and remember what we talked about. But a pre-tribulation view of the rapture sees the second coming of Jesus Christ happening in two distinct events. If you look at everything about what Jesus said about his return, he's really describing in different portions of Scripture throughout the Old and the New Testament, there's hints about a, a two-phase second coming. The first event will be the catching away of the church. That's the rapture. Uh, we studied this, and uh, you can go online.
online and get some information on that if you want to understand uh, where we get the scripture and the ideology for that. But it's very interesting to note that in the book of Revelation, after Jesus talks to the church in the first three chapters, that the church is caught up into the throne room, and then the church is not mentioned again until chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. So where is the church? Not here. The church is in heaven at, at, with Jesus at the, you know, having this great feast, and, and we're just like uh, getting our rewards, and all these things are happening in heaven while the tribulation is going on in earth. Isn't it great to not participate in some of these things that are not for the righteous? That, amen. Anybody happy you're not going to be here for that? Amen. And that's a reward to those who love Jesus. Now, this event, the rapture, the surprise, snatching away of the church uh, is a surprise event. And for those who are looking for that, you know, those are people who are born again. Really, if you're not born again in relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not looking for his coming. Because you haven't met him and you're not filled with his spirit and you're not in tune with what's going on in the earth. So, you know, there's a whole lot of people just kind of wandering around trying to figure out life. But Christians know because Christ is in us that he said he would return and we're looking for his coming. So what's described in scripture is a surprise event for those who are looking for it. And it's for those who are born again and part of the church. If your name's in the Lamb's book of life, when the rapture happens, you're going. Well, I wasn't ready. Well, I wasn't looking. Well, I wasn't, but you're saved, amen. And it's grace. And thank God it's not all depending on us. So uh, th- this is a surprise event, and it will not be seen by the entire world. It's going to be, Jesus is going to return in the air. Trumpet will sound. The church will be caught up, and people are going to be like, what happened? There's millions of people missing. And you could already see that, you know, the, the tides and the currents of the world trying to explain it away with aliens and all kinds of, uh, uh, they, they call it a new evolution. There's all kinds of stuff floating around even now that will be used to explain away the rapture. But this surprise event is for the believer. The church will be caught up and removed from the earth. The restrainer will be removed that's talked about in Scripture. What's the restrainer? The only thing restraining wickedness in our generation right now is the Holy Spirit that resides in you and I, the church. When you and I are removed, the restrainer will be removed. Amen? Uh, Matthew 24 39 through 42 gives us a good explanation of this surprise event, the first part of his coming. It says this, And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. At that time there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Does that sound like a surprise event? Does that sound like it's for the believer and not the unbeliever? Does that sound like some people are going to go missing and some people are going to be here? There's other texts that I could cover, but uh, we don't have the time to do that tonight. Let's look at the second part of his coming. So the first part is the rapture. It's a surprise. It's just for the believer. It's not visible to the whole world. The second half of his coming is this event, the the visible return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, the second part of his coming will not be secret. It will be visible to the entire world. Remember what Jesus said, as lightning flashes from the east to the west? 
You could see it from everywhere. The second part of his coming is when he returns uh, to earth after the great tribulation. He removes the Antichrist system from governing and replaces it with himself. Jesus will rule the nations for a thousand years with a rod of iron. How many are looking forward to that? Amen. If you're tired of man's ideas and man's laws and man's rules and man's governments and man's treachery and man's trees and anybody tired of that, I'm looking forward to when Jesus rules and reigns. There's going to be none of this nonsense that occurs. He's going to straighten all the crooked things out. Now, there are many scriptures that describe the visible return of Jesus Christ to earth that's talked about in Revelation. We're going to look at uh, two scriptures. Listen to Zechariah 14.4. If you're taking notes tonight, and I encourage you to, um, so you never can remember all this, but you can go back and study and look at some of these texts. Listen to Zechariah 14.4. It says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the mountains of Olives will, Mount of Olives will split in the middle from the east to the west, forming a large valley. Half of the mountain will be moved toward the north and the other half toward the south. So Zechariah, the prophet in the Old Testament, describes the the return of Messiah. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Now, listen to Revelation's description. I'm going to take a drink. You know what to do. The, the, the description in Revelation is exciting because Zechariah kind of just gives us a little piece, but listen to how Jesus is going to return here. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head... And on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If that don't give you goosebumps, you're dead. That's exciting the way Jesus is going to return. Uh, you know, and, and we see this. These are two separate distinct things. I could give you a list of scriptures that support each of them, but the, the second coming will happen in two phases. Once is the removal of the church, then it's Jesus' visible bodily return to earth. Now, verse 29 describes the signs that will accompany Jesus' visible return to earth. Uh, we looked at some of this as we unpacked some of the other texts, but uh, there's more detail here. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, if we, if we just blow right through that and don't realize the magnitude of what was just said, we're really cheating ourselves here because these signs here, are, are no small thing. Uh, what, what will accompany Jesus' visible return uh, to earth at that moment is, you know, something that's going to rock the whole world and get the whole world's attention. Now, note it says immediately. It happens immediately at the end of the seven-year tribulation period that's defined in Daniel. The first sign is that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Now, 
people think, oh, well, it's just going to be like an eclipse or something. Look, if, if the sun, do you realize if the sun moves out of its, you know, if we move away from it just a little bit or it, it loses some of its, do you realize just one little incremental change in that would destroy all life on earth? The sun and the moon, you know, have a job to do, and God put them in the sky, and they've been doing it perfectly, and we survive because God keeps everything in perfect order, in perfect geosynchronous orbit with the sun and the stars, and everything is working like a Swiss watch, and that's why we're not burned up or frozen completely. Come on, anybody take science. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, here, here the sun and the moon are darkened and it's not going to give its light. This will be the first time since creation that the sun and moon do this. Genesis 8.22 says this, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Did you hear that? Do you realize the implications of that? God put the sun in the sky. He put the moon in the sky. He put everything into order, and it will not cease as the earth remains. This is, <laughs> we are coming to the curtain call at the end of the tribulation here. God's going to give a new heaven and a new earth soon, so we see that the sun and the moon stopped doing its job. That's a big deal. And he continues here. He says, the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, look, I'm not a meteorologist and I'm not an astrophysicist, but I'm guessing when the sun, the moon, and the stars quit doing their job, that's going to be cataclysmic to earth. <laughs> and, and it doesn't take a big imagination. We've watched enough Hollywood movies. You remember that one with that big asteroid that was going to hit us and Bruce Willis was on it and he's dr drilling for Got to get the nuke down in there and save the world. Good old Bruce. But these changes are going to happen, and they're going to happen when Jesus returns. He said it's a sign. Uh, you know, these will be cataclysmic events. Do you know, scientists have hypothesized that it was a lone meteor strike that led to the extinction of dinosaurs and an ice age. One meteor. Could you imagine when all the stars start falling out of the sky? Come on, are you feeling any of this tonight? Am I preaching at a wax museum here? You? So this is what Jesus says is going to happen. Do you think anyone's going to be able to ignore this? Oh, I'm going to Walmart. You know, the stars are falling. I'm just going to, I got things to get. No, no. Oh, the moon's not working. Oh, the sun's not working. No, you're not going to be able to ignore the visible return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to know about it. The creation will respond to it. The creation is actually responding to the return of the creator. Isn't that an amazing thing? The earth is responding. And, and people will respond too, and they're not going to miss it. Uh, so in some, in some, you know, uh, you notice whenever God does stuff, there's always people who try to deny it. And no matter what God does, there are always people who just deny it and don't believe it and come up with some crazy alternative. You know, there's going to be absolutely no way the world will be able to ignore or marginalize or explain away what happens when Jesus appears at the Mount of Olives and comes with the armies of heaven. There's no way that it can be ignored. You know, people have tried to explain away the Old Testament miracles. I've heard uh, Bible critics say that, well, the Red Sea was only six inches when the children of Israel crossed it. Have you heard that? Well, isn't that amazing how God drowned a whole army in six inches of water? <laughs> uh, I've heard people say the walls of Jericho fell down because of a design flaw in the walls and an earthquake. Okay. 
So they just happened to be marching around them that the Lord told them, and, the, you know, then the design flaw kicked in and an earthquake. Yeah. Mary lied about getting pregnant just to cover up the fact because she was in trouble. Oh, and it just happened that her son healed the sick and raised the dead and claimed to be Messiah. There's always these things, you know, oh, Jesus never rose from the dead. They stole his body at night. Yeah, and they were all willing to die a gruesome death of a martyr rather than deny the resurrection. Every one of his disciples died horribly rather than deny Jesus and his resurrection. That's kind of a long way to go for a hoax, wouldn't you think? So there will always be those who try to explain away the, the things that God does to reveal himself to mankind. But at this juncture, when Jesus returns, no one's going to be able to do that. It will be indisputable, overwhelming, cataclysmic, and every eye will see the return of Jesus Christ. Now, the last gem, amen. The last gem of verse 29, it says, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, this, does this mean that heaven's going to, you know, crumble itself? Well, that's not what it's saying here. When it talks about the powers of the heaven, it's talking about the atmospheric heavens. How many realize you have earth, you have the atmospheric heavens, you know, and then you got other heavens and then where God dwells. So when it talks about the powers of the heavens here in this particular case, it's talking about the atmospheric heavens. That's why the sun and the moon and the stars are all affected. But, you know, the truth is that that being said, heaven and earth will pass away at one point and both will be recreated and that will happen but that's not what's happening here isaiah speaks of the heavens and the earth being recreated in isaiah 65 17 peter mentions it in the new testament second peter 3 13 and it's vividly described by john the apostle who got the revelation in revelation 21 1 through 3 listen to what john says about the recreation of the heavens and the earth this is awesome then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea and i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and i heard loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of god is among the people and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and god himself will be among them I'm looking forward to that. Verse 30 continues, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens, and then all the tribes, say tribes, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, say mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 30 is an amazing statement that Jesus makes. There again, giving another description of what his coming will be like. He outlines the response of mankind to all these events, to all these signs coming to a crescendo and the heavens uh, and creation and, and everything is testifying that Jesus is returning, that the creator is coming, that the Christ is here. And man's collective response to all these amazing events is that they will mourn. Think about that. Now, let's kind of dig into that and find out why. Uh, you know, the vast majority of those left on the earth at this time will not be in right relationship with God. 
They've resisted him. They've worshiped the beast. They've fallen into the Antichrist system. And when the people finally see Jesus returning, uh, there's going to be the vast majority of them that are not in right relationship with him. They're not ready for his coming. And so the universal response pretty much is going to be to mourn. Now, notice Jesus describes everyone left on the earth at this time as tribes. Anybody feeling tribal tonight? What tribe are you of? Are you of the Yankees tribe or the Mets tribe? Nobody wants to admit anything in church. Okay. So Jesus makes that statement there, and he's talking about then all the tribes of the earth. What is he really saying there? Let's kind of explore that a little bit. The masses who've rejected Jesus and worshiped the Antichrist will be a tribe in and of itself. They will finally be confronted with the undeniable truth that there is a God, Jesus is his son, and in fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life. It wasn't what they were worshiping. It wasn't man. It wasn't the beast. It wasn't the Illuminati. It wasn't the powers who are in charge. Hello. There are a lot of people that just don't believe in God, just don't believe in Jesus, just, you know, have other ideas, and they form a group that Jesus looks at as a tribe, and when Jesus returns, they will be confronted with the truth that the Bible was right, that Jesus was who he said he was, and now he's here in all his glory, and they're confronted with the truth, and they will mourn. What else did Jesus mean when he talked about tribes? All the nations who tribally worship false gods and idols and demons and false religions in place of Christ, they will mourn because they allowed themselves to be deceived. There's no greater pain, I think, than a a person can feel to, to be religious and lost, to be spiritual but be deceived. And yet there are multitudes of people that are in that group and Jesus looks at them as a tribe and certainly those who worship the Antichrist will be in there. But there will be other groups that didn't worship Antichrist, but they didn't worship Jesus and they'll be on the earth at the time and they will mourn. And lastly, what Jesus meant by tribes, and I think this is what, this is the the greatest of the meaning here. The the other two were kind of just satellite things, but really he's talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 tribes of Israel will mourn because they rejected Messiah when he came the first time and they crucified him and they didn't receive him. Hello, do you understand the state that the, the Jews are in right now? That We talked about it the last time that since their temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, they haven't had a place to worship since then. They're not offering sacrifices. They're not keeping the Mosaic law. Uh, They're still under the Abrahamic covenant, but they they are kind of treading water. Now, they're going to be on the earth at this time. Why? Because they'll go through all seven years of the tribulation, and God will protect them. But when they see Jesus split that eastern sky and come with the armies of heaven and touch down and put his foot on the Mount of Olives, they're going to realize that he was who he said he was. He was the Christ their Messiah. And the Bible says in a day, all of Israel will be saved. Wow. Awesome. What an awesome moment there. So the the 12 tribes are going to see him coming and they're going to be like, oh, they're going to be so broken. Listen to what Zechariah says about the mood of the people during this time. Zechariah 
12.10 gives us a snapshot of the heart of Israel when they see Messiah returning. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Listen to this. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They're going to look at Jesus and realize what they did and realize how they rejected him. And they're going to be so broken, they're going to mourn as if they had lost their firstborn son. Wow. What a glorious moment it's going to be when they finally see. What a glorious moment it's going to be for Jesus who loves the Jews, who loves his people. They are the apple of God's eye when they finally mourn over what they did in rejecting him. And in a day, all of them believe and receive Christ as he returns the second time. What an awesome moment it will be. The only group who will not mourn when Jesus comes back are the tribulation saints. Remember, the church is caught away, but there will be people on the earth who refuse to take the mark of the beast and worship the Antichrist, and they will come to Jesus and be born again. And they're going to be persecuted. The Bible says that the only way that they can be saved is through persecution and martyrdom, that they will be martyred, they will be persecuted the entire seven years, and when they see Jesus coming back, it's going to be, a, a sigh of relief. Thank God it's over. The lamb is here and we have to endure persecution no more. So interesting text there in verse 30 talking about the, the tribes of the earth mourning. Now you understand all the implications of that. Please note the description of the return of Christ in verse 30 and how it contrasts from the first time that Jesus came to earth. Now, I'm not talking about the catching away of the church. I'm talking about when he came as a baby born in a manger. The first time Jesus came to earth, he, he came, you know, and he comes as this baby in a manger, and he's, you know, he's dependent on his parents, and he has to grow up, and he has to do all these things. He came, you know, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But this time when he comes, look what it says here in verse 30. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So that's a much different arrival than the first time, would you say? Are you guys alive out there? Well, I'm preaching up here. So he comes and, you know, he's on the clouds. He's got the army with him. He comes in great power. The first time he's just this little baby. He came as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but he's returning as the lion of the tribe of Judah who will subdue all the nations. And you guys are worn out on me tonight. Should we, should we take a seventh inning stretch? Pass out some snacks? Everybody want to stretch, Tony? Oh. All right. That's a good that's a good stretch for you. So let's just continue here. We're getting to the end. Hang in there with me. Jesus' visible return to earth will not be subtle. He came the first time as the lamb. We all know how that worked out. He was so humble. So, you know, he didn't come to be worshipped. He came to serve, not to be served. This time it's so much different. Now he's coming as the lion, and he, he's going to subdue the nations. Now his visible return will not be subtle the second time in any sense of the word. And this passage, again, reassures us that all humanity will see his coming and you're not going to be able to miss it. Verse 31, we bring this in for a landing tonight, and thank God there's not another verse for no flesh would survive. 
And he will send his angels, say angels, with a great cloud of a trumpet, with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect, there's that word again, from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So another component is added here. We have the signs in the earth. Remember, we had, you know, all the signs that were going to come in the earthquakes and the famines and all that, <coughs> signs in the earth. Then we had the celestial signs where the heavens, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars, the heavens are disrupted. Um, then we have now added to those two things an angelic component to the return of the king. Uh, the angels are going to come. Look what it says. And he will send his angels. How many angels there are? Th there's, there's a bunch of them, and they're coming. Amen. Now, you would think, well, a bunch of angels? What's the implications of that? Anytime in Scripture any human being saw an angel, they, they had, you know, a, a very overwhelming reaction to the manifestation of an angel. Either they fell to their knees quickly, and tried to worship the angel, and angels don't accept worship because they're not to be worshiped, so they would stand the people up and be like, cut that out, right? So, you know, either they would fall down and want to be worshiped, or the people would just quiver in fear, or they would lay prostrate on the ground as if they were dead. So that's one angel. What happens when a whole bunch of them show up? It's going to be overwhelming, and if you're not getting this, I'm going to videotape you when you see this. <laughs> so all of these angels show up, and there's an angelic component here. What do the angels do? They sound a trumpet. There again, what are, they, what are they doing with the trumpet? They're trying to draw attention to something. What are they drawing attention to? Jesus has come. The creator has returned to creation, and he's here to put an end to all the nonsense that has been going on. Amen. The angels, it says, will then, they sound their trumpets, and then they're going to they're gonna do their job to gather the elect. And look at this, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So remember we said when we see a, a word in Scripture, especially when it's in eschatology about end times, we need to understand who it's referring to. Now, the elect usually refers to the Jews. If that word elect is translated from the word that means chosen in Hebrew or Greek, then the elect would be the Jews. Now, you can also be a Christian and be part of the elect. Why? Because of predestination through election, God chose us before the foundations of the earth. In this case here, the elect definitely means the Jews. And look, he's going to gather them, uh, his elect, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So everywhere that they were scattered, he gathers them. And he also gathers the tribulation saints because they're elected and they are part of uh, where God has brought salvation. So basically, he gathers up the tribulation saints and the Jews and the rest of everybody else who rejected and fought against him is, is not gathered up. So the implications there are interesting. We'd have to get into the dynamics of the millennial reign before we could understand all this. But we're just, we're just going to leave it at that here today and realize Jesus is coming. He gave us a lot of signs to look for for his coming. And we see a lot of them ramping up and ratcheting up in the earth right now. And you know what? Jesus could come to catch up the church any day. I want you to hear that. It, it, it's time to be ready. It's time to have oil in your lamp. It's time to be looking for his coming. Amen. As believers, we've got to be busy about the job of loving Jesus and telling people about him. Amen. 
because he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. Uh, he's doing a work in his bride. I, don't, I know some of you are paying attention. We saw revivals breaking out and still breaking out in places, and that's a great sign, amen. Let's be part of the labor force. The Bible says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So you know what? God's looking for a few good men and women to bring in the harvest. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. Coming. Father, we thank you tonight for this text. We thank you for the words of Jesus that are captured in Matthew. We thank you for all these signs. What a, what a beautiful explanation Jesus gave to the disciples' question. Father, as we contemplate all these signs and we see them in the earth and we watch them uh, increase in frequency and tempo, Father, would it force us to look up, to look to the sky where our redemption draws nigh, that you're coming for us. So help us, Lord, to live ready. And as we get into these next parables about readiness, would they, would they impact us to the point that we would even change our behavior, we would change our agendas, we would change the trajectory of our lives, the way we spend our time and energy. Not that that would save us because we're saved by grace. It's a free gift, and this is not to instill fear in us, but we want to be part of what you're doing in the earth at this exciting time. So use us, each of us, and don't let one of us miss it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.